Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning as we worship our God together. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. We will be having lunch together and then this afternoon have an afternoon service around 1.45. Wednesday's prayer meeting, Wednesday at 7 o'clock on Zoom. We were one of the few churches that did not cancel prayer meeting or a midweek service last week. So uh, Wednesday at 7 o'clock on Zoom. And then you see the other announcements. I would only point out the, the new one, and that is the 2023 proposed budget is on the back table. So you can pick up one, probably one per family right now. When I was copying them, our copier went on the blink, and so I need to copy some more, but we're working on that. So, uh, But the proposed budget is back there. You're to look that over. If you have any questions, uh, please see one of the deacons and uh, see if they know the answer. And God willing, we'll be voting on that budget at the annual meeting, which will be February the 19th. So please look that over. All right. Well, I believe that's all the announcements that I have this morning. We read in Exodus chapter 34 that Moses passed in front of the Lord. And when he did so, it was proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, trespasses, and sin. What a great God we have. And it is that God that we gather to worship this morning. We just take a moment to ask Him to come and meet with us in our gathering in this place. Inside your bulletin is the responsive reading, the call to worship, coming from Psalm 147. It is a psalm in which we are admonished to give praise to God. And I love what the psalmist says. If you ask, well, why should we praise God? Notice he says, praise the Lord, for it is good. It's a good thing to do to give praise to God. And then he goes on and tells us of the many blessings that come from God and what he's done for many of us. So will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. He heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars to give his name to all of them. 
Great is our Lord, and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Now I would say to you, let us give praise to our God together by taking our hymns of grace and turning to number 94. 94 and hymns of grace. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Number 94. standing for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we, your people, 
give you praise and adoration this Lord's Day morning because you are Yahweh, the great I Am, the Holy One of Israel, the Creator and Sustainer of all things. And as we seek to ascribe to you the glory that is due your name, our hearts are filled with wonder and gratitude that by your infinite grace you overcame the deadness and darkness of our sin and gave us life and light through faith in our Lord Jesus. And so we are thankful that we are blessed beyond measure and we also acknowledge our need of the continual outpouring of your grace in our lives, even in this hour. As your word is read and preached, we pray that it will have free course to accomplish your purpose and that by the work of the Holy Spirit it will take root and bear fruit in the lives of those who hear it. And now grant us, we pray, that as members of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ in this place, we would join together in praise and worship that is pleasing in your sight. May your presence be evident among us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, to the praise of the glory of your grace. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now again, in your hymns of grace, 364, 364, how firm a foundation. And as you sing through this song, I want you to notice that every verse, there's there's a promise given to us. Fear not, I am with thee. When you, through fiery trials, pathways, you go that pathway, my grace all-sufficient will be thy supply. And, and then there's, there's finally that last promise. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not depart, desert to his foes. These are wonderful promises that God gives us in his word. And let us remember them as we sing this together. 364.
Our consecutive reading through the New Testament today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8, and it's a long chapter, 56 verses, so I'll only briefly make one comment. Last year, in our consecutive reading, it turned out in God's providence, that I read the parallel passages from both Matthew and Mark that correspond, when we were in those Gospels, that correspond with Luke chapter 8. And so some of the comments I made then could be made again today, one of them being that the miracles Jesus did substantiated the authority of his teaching as well as his authority over everything, over nature, over demons, over disease, over death, over heaven and earth. And yet, even though his authority was acknowledged, there were still those who rejected him, like these people in the region of the Gerasenes who just wanted him to go away. Such is the exceeding sinfulness of sin and the total depravity of man. So let us heed the admonition of the Lord in verse 18, take care how you listen, and pray that we would be among those he refers to in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So Luke chapter 8, hear now the word of the living and true God. Soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in the time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And his mother and his brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. 
And it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep, and a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the spirit, into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, they had all been waiting for him. And there was a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she trembling, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. 
Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Again, this morning as we seek our God together in prayer, we want to remember the Maidenbower Baptist Church in Crawley, England, with Pastor Jeremy Walker. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again we give you thanks for the word of God. We thank you that it's truly a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be people who diligently give heed to the word of God. That we would, as we read this morning, be careful how we listen. And may we desire to listen to the Word of God and be found obedient to the Word of God because your Word also reminds us this morning that these are my mother and my brethren, those who hear the Word and do it. And so, Father, may we be people who are not only marked out by our love for the Word of God, but may we be people who are marked out by our obedience in every area of our lives to your word. Forgive us, we pray, for often our disobedience, not following the instructions that we have received from that word. And Father, we pray that we might acknowledge that to be sin and by your grace be a people who rightly apply the word of God to every situation of our lives, what we are in our homes, what we are in the workplace, what we are in social settings, what we are in the church. May the word of God be that guide that helps us to live as we ought to live. And yet, Father, we've been reminded upon hearing your word that there are some who, upon hearing the word of God, are like that hard ground where the birds come along and snatch it up, and it has no real effect upon their lives. And it would be our prayer this morning, O oh Lord, that those birds would be chased away, and that the Word of God would find lodging in hearts. And Father, especially those who may be among us who know you not, that the Word of God may be that instrument that you use to show them of their sin and their need of a Savior, and that even today would be a day of salvation for some. And so, Father, we pray your blessing upon the Word of God. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity of gathering together. We're thankful for the opportunity and for the responsibility that we have of interceding for places far beyond our own borders. Thank you that the Maidenbower Baptist Church has entrusted to us the opportunity to pray for them and with them for the advancement of your kingdom there in Crawley, England. Father, we're thankful for the partnership that we've enjoyed with them over many years 
And though we may never see that congregation face to face, yet because of the common bond we have in the unity that we have in Jesus Christ, we're able to pray for our brothers and sisters. Father, we pray your blessing even as they gather together to worship you. May you draw near to them, have dealings with them. Father, we pray for Pastor Walker that you'll continue to watch over him. We thank you for the many opportunities that our brother has had, not only to proclaim your word, but also his opportunities in the written word and being able to have books published and articles that are beneficial for the church of God universally. But Father, how we pray for that congregation and for that assembly that you would raise up or bring in other men who would be able to labor alongside Pastor Walker. Would you give them in days to come a a plurality of elders in that place for the good and safety of the Maiden Bower Church. Now again, Father, we pray that we might know something of the work of the Spirit of God among us taking your word and making it effective. So we would ask that you would draw near to us in that way as we open up the word of God. For we ask these things in your blessed son's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take the Trinity hymn book, Trinity hymn book 579, 579, Be Still My Soul. Let's stand together as we sing.
is seated. What a, what a wonderful song. That last verse. Be still my soul, the hour is hasting on when we shall be forever with the Lord. And what a glorious day that will be when we think about disappointments, grief, and fears are gone. And the purest joy is restored. What a day that will be. Well, that's a free sermon. Now I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. As I look out, I see that there are some visiting with us this morning, and we're delighted to have you with us. Perhaps a brief word of explanation that we've been traveling through the book of Deuteronomy for some time now. In fact, Somewhat to my amazement, this is message number 62 in this journey of going through the book of Deuteronomy. And this morning we come to Deuteronomy chapter 23, starting at verse 15 and going down to verse 25. And in this passage of Scripture, Moses begins to change his message from the seventh commandment of thou shalt not commit adultery. And now he moves to the eighth commandment, which is thou shalt not steal. And starting here in chapter 23 and verse 15, and going through chapter 24 and verse 7, Moses is giving us further instructions concerning how we're to live out this command in our lives every day. For Moses, it was a message that was going to a people who were about ready to enter into the promised land. And he has words of instruction as to how thou shalt not steal be worked out in this land that they were now going in to possess. With that commandment, that thou shalt not steal, there is the topic of your finances, your, your personal property. And as you think about all that God has given you, when, when you think about your finances and your personal property, there are a couple things that need to stay in the forefront of your mind as you think of those things. One is this. It is God who gives man the ability to make money. And the second thing is this. Everything you have belongs to God. Keep those two things in mind. It is God who's given you the ability and everything you have belongs to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18 we read, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 we read, What do you have that you have not received? In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 we read, Yours, O Lord, is all that is in the heavens and the earth. And so as we come to this passage of Scripture, Moses is challenging the people to have a heart like God's when it comes to their wealth and to their possessions. Have a heart like God when it comes to these things. And so as we come to this passage, I want you to think of it as a photo album. This week I got a phone call, I think it was Thursday or Friday, and, and, and someone said to me, uh, Pastor Walden, I, I found some old photos, and, and I'm putting them in a scrapbook. And these photos were from back in the early 80s. I, I think they were one of the first Mid-America Reformed Baptist Family Conferences. And I, and, and I know you were there but I've got a photo of a couple, and I'm not sure who they are. If I, sent them, if I sent it to you, would you be able to tell me who it is? Of course, I had to say, I don't know. Send me the photo. I'll do my best. And so I, I, I got the photo by way of text. Isn't it amazing what we can do nowadays? I get this text immediately, and I saw the couple. And at first, I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then I, oh, yeah. You know, we, we, we looked a lot younger back in the early 80s. And it came to mind who it was. And I was able to text back, yeah, this is Pastor so-and-so. And, and she said, thank you, because I'm making this scrapbook and I, I want to make sure I've got everything right. Well, when, when we come to this passage of Scripture, we, we have these snapshots, as it were, of various case laws that involve the possessions and the wealth of the people, but it also demonstrates something of the heart of God as we see how they're to handle certain situations. And so I want you to look at these five snapshots with me. And as we read the two or three verses per snapshot, most of them are pretty well self-explanatory. I don't need to go into great detail, but, but I trust it will help us, number one, to see something of the heart of God, and then secondly, to see something of our own hearts when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our wealth. And so the first snapshot I want you to notice with me in, in this photo album is a heart of compassion. A heart of compassion. Notice verses 15 and 16. You shall not lay, you shall not hand over to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall live with you in your midst in the place which he chooses in one of your towns where he please, where it pleases him. You shall not mistreat him. 
So here's the first snapshot. It's a slave. In all likelihood, it's a slave who's come from a foreign country, and he's now there with you. He's at your doorstep. And the command is this. Do not hand him back over to his master in that foreign country. Now, now what would be surprising about this is that most nations would have an agreement that says if one of our slaves comes to you, you are to extradite him back home. You are to send him back home. He, 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 we don't get details concerning this slave. Was he mistreated? Did he show up with, with bruises and scars, malnourished? Was that his case? We're not given those details. But unlike other nations, God says, you're not to be like them. You're to show compassion upon the oppressed. And when he comes into your midst, you're not to return him. In fact... He is to live among you anywhere He chooses. Whatever pleases Him. And then this word of instruction. Don't you mistreat Him. Don't you mistreat Him. Don't use Him for your own profit. But let Him live among you freely. Do not mistreat him, take advantage of him as he lives in your midst. Do not think about making money off of him. Sort of saying, listen, I, I have your slave and for a certain amount of money I will return him. No. Show compassion upon that one and allow him to live among you. And it's a lesson for each one of us that there are those who live around us who are oppressed, who are needy, who, who need help. And we're not to turn them away, but we're to look for opportunities to do good to them, to show kindness towards them. Because our God is a compassionate God. The Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 5 in verse 8 that God demonstrates His love for us. How? How does God show His love for us? It's while we were yet sinners. It doesn't say God shows His love for us because He looked on you and thought, Oh, I, I could get something from these folks. It doesn't say God demonstrates His love for us because He said, Oh, these people, they, they can benefit me. I, I can make some money off them. No, it says this, God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were sinners, there, there was nothing that was attractive about us in and of ourselves. God saw us and He saw our sin. But what does He do? It's while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. 
He, he took us in when we were unbecoming. He, he took us in when there was nothing in us that would naturally attract Him to us. It's while we were sinners that He provided a way in which sin can be forgiven in the giving of His own Son. He was compassionate towards us. And so we're reminded that when we see those who are in need, and and maybe there's nothing appealing about them, they, they may have lived a life that we would find unappealing. But there's an opportunity to come along beside them and help them and do them good. We've got to take what we have and demonstrate our love and our compassion by seeking to do them good and be of help to them. We see in this first snapshot a heart of compassion. Secondly, in verses 17 and 18, we see a, a heart of righteousness. A heart of righteousness. Look at the passage. Look at the verses. 17. None of the daughters of Israel shall be called prostitutes, nor shall any of the sons of Israel be called prostitutes. You shall not bring the hire of a harlot or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord, your God, in the house of the Lord your God, for any votive offering. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Here in this, in this second snapshot, we see the gaining of something through wicked channels. The gaining of something through wicked channels. The snapshot is of men and women bringing offerings to God, to His house. But notice... It is refused. It is refused. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine turning away money? In our culture, in our society, can you imagine somebody saying, I don't want your money, even so-called religious institutions who, who, who are constantly pleading for money, looking for money, looking for offerings, looking for gifts. But that's what God does here. Because it comes by the way of what we would call ill-gotten gain. Now somebody can tell me later on where that comes from, but, but you're familiar with that term. That, that, that money is nothing but ill-gotten gain. It comes from wicked behavior. It comes from that which is wrong. The gaining of wealth through evil means is condemned as a violation of the Eighth Commandment. The gaining of wealth through evil means is condemned as a violation of the Eighth Commandment. The, the, the focus of these two verses is on the in, earned income that comes through immoral activity. 
And the Lord finds such sexual practices detestable and does not want the immoral earnings in the offerings of His people. Oftentimes, when they would bring their offerings to the house of the Lord, it was a way of expressing praise and giving thanks to God. It it was a way of acknowledging God's goodness to them. But the sons and daughters are never to engage in an immoral business. And if they do, God rejects all offerings to Him from such a gain. It's evil. I mean, we just spent, right? We just spent a couple weeks looking there at at the end of chapter 22 and and the beginning of chapter 23 and, and being reminded of the wicked immorality that exists in the culture. And there are people who, who make money from such practices. And what God is saying here, he, He's a righteous God and He wants nothing to do with such a gain. How... How you make money is important to God. He takes notice of that. And the child of God must be sure that their wages are not obtained by work that is degrading to oneself or damaging to, damaging to others or dishonoring to God. How I make my money should not be degrading to me, damaging to others, or in any way dishonors God. And God says, I don't want it. It's an abomination. Why? Because God is a righteous God. He's a holy God. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13 Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look upon wickedness with favor. God cannot look upon wickedness and bless it or speak well of it. And so here we see the heart of righteousness. And are we a righteous people with regard to how we obtain wealth and what we do with wealth? Is it to the glory of God? The third snapshot is a heart of grace. A heart of grace. Look at verses 19 and 20. You shall not charge interest to your countrymen. Interest on money, food, or anything that may be loaned at interest. You may charge interest to a foreigner, but to one of your countrymen you shall not charge interest so that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land which you are about to enter to possess. All right. Here we have this third snapshot. And the third snapshot imagines a man who has some wealth. He is a, a wealthy individual 
And two men come knocking on his door. One is a fellow countryman. The other is a foreigner. And both have need. And with the countryman, who's fallen on perhaps difficult times, perhaps he, he, he's just experienced a drought and his crop didn't produce, Perhaps there was a flood, perhaps there was an illness, perhaps there was a death. But whatever it is, which, with such things, he, he brings about a loss of income. And he stands in need. And the instruction is, for that countryman, you're to, you're to loan him what he needs, but you're not to charge him interest. And one day, when things get better, the loan could be repaid, but not with interest. The next man at his door is a foreigner. And by, by a foreigner, we're not talking, this is not a matter of, of ethnic discrimination. Take care of your own, but not foreigners. That, that's not what Moses is saying here. The, the, the foreigner was a man who, who came into the promised land with a desire to make money. He wants to set up a shop. He, he, he wants to perhaps sell his wares. Perhaps he brought them over from Egypt or someplace. But, but now he, he wants to set up a little small business. And in order to get the business going, he, he needs a little help, a little bit of cash. And, and this man could help him. And so as the foreigner sets up his little small business, you loan him some money, and as he makes a profit, you also can make a profit. You can charge him interest as he takes on this loan. And, and so we have these two different scenarios. But, but in this snapshot in particular, I want you to notice the fellow countryman who comes in and, and he has this need and for whatever reason we're not given the detail and, and you have the wherewithal to loan him money. You're, you're not to take advantage of him. You're, you're not to charge him interest. Here's a, here's a picture when charging interest is really stealing. It's an opportunity to gain from another's impoverishment. It is, it, is, it is considered stealing when you take someone who's in severe need and you charge him interest as you try to help meet that need. That's the law. Now, can you imagine if that law was in effect today? You know these little cash places in town that, you know, payday loans? People go in there and they get a loan. They, they've got a bill they've got to pay, so they quickly get a loan. And they get charged 20 30 I don't know how. I, I've never had one, so I'm not an expert in this area. But I've had to deal with people who have had them and the astronomical interest they're charged. And many of them only get that loan because they're in desperate need. 
They're in desperate need. And instead of showing grace and kindness, there are businesses that look at this as an opportunity to make a great amount of money in the midst of their impoverishment. Now again, I've never taken out one. Some of you sitting here may have taken out and you want to say, Amen, man, I, that's happened. In, in my desperation, I went there. I got a lot, and it, it was a mess. But here, we're just reminded that there are times we just need to show grace. We need to show kindness. And, and if we have the wherewithal, to help someone who's in the midst of impoverishment, we ought to do that. Now I know, you've got to be wise. Somebody's going to meet me at the back door and say, Pastor Walden, you know, some people take advantage of this. You know? They refuse to get a job and, and they refuse to work and yet and then they got a light bill due and, and they're going to have their lights shut off and they want you to give them the money and, 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 and there's all kinds of of circumstances and conditions that we're not addressing here. Here right now, I'm just addressing the fact when you know of someone in the midst of impoverishment, how you ought to demonstrate grace toward them. Because, you know, when you were at your worst, when you stood in with your greatest need, God by His grace rescued you. Didn't He? I mean, you didn't give anything to become one of His children. He gave it all. And if He showed grace, how His children ought to show grace on occasion when we have the wherewithal to do it. The fourth snapshot is a heart of faithfulness. A heart of faithfulness. Verses 21 to 23, follow as I read. And when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you, and the Lord your God would surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be sin in you. <laughs> Here we have an example of someone who, who makes a vow to God. I, he I heard this illustration. Here's a man who, who has... Uh, let's say a, a cow, and, 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 and the cows, well, let's not use a cow. What is it? Yeah, let's use a rabbit. They, they, they have many babies. They have this, this rabbit, and, and this rabbit has become very sickly, and, and, and you want to have other baby rabbits, and, you're, you're, and, you, and you say to God, God, if, if you just bring this rabbit back to health, I'll give you one of those rabbits. That, that will be yours. And the Rabbit gets better and has a bunch of, I don't know what you call a bunch of rabbits, a litter, a bunch of rabbits. And you think, okay, you made a vow to God. You're going to give him one. And you couldn't get to the, you couldn't get to the tabernacle right away to present that offering. And so, so you're, you're delayed. And as you're delayed, all of a sudden that promise you made begins to faint a little bit. And someone comes along and, and they see that rabbit and they say, wow, that looks like a good rabbit. That would look good on my dinner table. I'll give you 
I'll give you 50 bucks for that rabbit. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds good. And, and certainly God would understand if, if I give his rabbit and, and, and I get the 50 bucks. That, that would, God would understand that, wouldn't he? God says, no, man, if you made a promise, you made a vow, you better keep it. You keep it. Now, if you never made the vow and you give the rabbit away, that's not sin. But, but if you've made a vow, if you've made a promise to God, you better keep it. God, God wants us faithful to, His word, to, to our word. When, when we say something, we ought to do it. Their word was to be dependable and trustworthy. If one makes a vow, makes a promise, they're under obligation to do it. Failure to fulfill the vow or the promise is a form of stealing. And when we're faithful to our word, we're, we're like God. God is a faithful God. God keeps His word. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps His covenant. God keeps His promise. You ought to keep yours. And if you don't, it's sin. The heart of faithfulness. And then finally, we come to the fifth snapshot in our photo album, and it's a heart of generosity. A heart of generosity. Verses 24 and 25. I guess part 23 I skipped over. It's part of the fourth snapshot. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. And then 24 and 25, the, the heart of generosity. And when you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied, but you shall not put any into your basket. And when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you shall pluck the heads with your hands, but you shall not weld a sick weld a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. Here's the fourth snapshot. Here we have what we might see in this snapshot of two different fields. You have a vineyard and you have a field of grain. And in both of, of these, the same lesson is taught. Let's say you're on a journey, and, and as you're on your journey, you're going through some of the paths, and, and the paths are surrounded by these fields. And, and as you're walking along, there's a field of grain. And, and the idea was you could, you could take your hand and pluck the heads of the grain off and be able to have nourishment. Or you're walking through a vineyard, and, and as you're walking through the vineyard, you, you, there are grapes, and, and you can pick the grapes until you're fully satisfied. And you've got to realize that as, as Moses is giving this message, it was at a time where you walked down a path, you didn't find the nearest Chick-fil-A. Ah, there's a Chick-fil-A. This exit, Chick-fil-A at this exit. Let's run off and, and get us one of those good, good sandwiches. Without pickle. Anybody who knows me knows where that comes from. 
without pickle. No, they didn't have that. And so as they were on their journey making their way, they would need nourishment. And they were allowed to pick the grain or pick the grapes for nourishment and be satisfied and go on their way. But they were not allowed to fill up their baskets. They were not allowed to take advantage of what we have here. Being able to have nourishment to continue on our journey. And and as you think about that, you think, uh, I mean, can you imagine the farmer? You know, man, I planted the seed. I've got the, it's a good crop. How many people are going to walk through and and take some grain? But, But, you know, God will provide for them. Remember, remember what God says in, in doing these things. Look at what he says at the end of verse 20. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land which you are about to enter to possess. God's going to bless. Be generous with what you have. Be generous. Because God is a generous God. Hasn't, hasn't God given to us Far more than we could ask or think. Which one of us, as I look out, I don't think, but which one of us are are, are dreading going home because at least here it's warm and you have no heat in your house? You got heat. Which one of us are going to have trouble going downstairs to lunch because we're so malnourished? No, we've got so much. God gives us so much. He's, he's a generous God. He's a good God. J.I. Packard says, Generosity means a disposition to give to others in a way which, is, which has no mercenary motives and is not limited to what the recipient deserves. To, to be generous in, in biblical terms means, I'm, I'm not going to be generous to you because you're going to give something back to me. Not with mercenary motives. I'm going to do this out of selfish reasons. I do this gladly. Nor because somebody deserves it. It's just being good and kind to those we come in contact with. And so here we have this snapshot of a heart of generosity towards others. Our God is certainly a generous God. Exodus 34 and verse 6 says, God is abundant, abundant in goodness. He's abundant in goodness. So, so here we have these five snapshots. A, a, a heart of compassion, a heart of righteousness, a heart of grace, a, a heart of faithfulness, a, a heart of generosity. Two things I would point out. Number one, that describes... God's heart towards His people. This is the God that we worship. He's a God of compassion. He's a righteous God. He's a, he's a God of grace. He's, he's faithful and He's generous. What a great God we serve. And as we have a God who has a heart of all these things, as the people of God, we ought to want to reflect Him. In our lives. 
we want to mirror what He is. And therefore, when it comes to whatever we have by way of wealth or by way of possessions, and there's nothing wrong with owning things, there's nothing wrong with having wealth, but we ought to be compassionate. We ought to be righteous. We ought to show grace. We ought to be faithful. And we ought to be generous with whatever God is pleased to give us. Do you and do I reflect the God that we serve with the things we possess? Or are we greedy and selfish and tight-fisted? If you're greedy and selfish and tight-fisted, you do not reflect the God of the Bible. And so those two things, remember, This is the God that we serve and I want to reflect Him in my life. And perhaps, let me just say this, perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, wow, that's quite... I I thought God was rigid and harsh. I, I I thought of God as this bully, this boss, this, this unkind fella who simply goes around barking out orders, Thou shalt not! And I'm here to tell you, that's not my God. The God of the Bible is a God of grace, a God of goodness, a God of love, a God of kindness. Is He a God of wrath? Yes, He is. He certainly is. But to those of us who know Him, He has been far better to us than we ever deserve. You may be sitting here and saying, how do you know this God? Is there a secret handshake? Is there some secret code you punch in and and then you get access to God. How, how How can one come to really know this God? And my friend, there's only one way to know this God. There are not many paths to know this God. Only one. And that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ Himself that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. So then the question, how can I be united to this Jesus Christ? How can I be united to Christ so that I can know this God? And that's by faith. Faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's it's, it's being awakened to the fact that that I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve to have access to God. But, but I want to turn away from my sins and, and by faith I embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. And He says, all who call upon Me, I will in never wise cast out. 
And then by faith, we're united to Him. And being united to Him, now we have access to the Father. We have access to this great God. So do you know Him this morning? He stands ready to save all who call upon Him. Let's pray. Now, Father, we give You thanks for Your Word and the direction that we receive from that Word. And Father, we pray that even as we've examined these various case laws that's found for the children of Israel as they enter into the Promised Land, may, may we, Father, glean from them what we ought to be as we live here and now. And Father, may we acknowledge that, that all that we have comes from You. You're the one who gives us the ability to make wealth. And everything we have belongs to You. It is all Yours. We're just stewards of what You've given to us. But Father, in that stewardship, may we be found as those who are compassionate, who show grace and kindness and goodness to those around us who may be in need. And so may we reflect our great God. And Father, again, how we pray that if there be those who are among us who know You not, that even right now You would come and open their eyes to the reality that there is a God. And You can know Him, but only through His Son, Jesus Christ. That You did so love the world that You gave Him, that whoever believes and you will never perish, but have everlasting life. So, by your work of your Spirit, come and do a work that only you can do to the glory of your great name. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, take your Trinity hymn books. The Trinity hymn book, turning to page 559. 559, cast your burdens on the Lord. 559, only lean upon His Word. And that's what these people were told. Be obedient, you'll know my blessings. May we know that as well. 559, Trinity Hymn Book. Let's stand together as we sing.
stay for lunch and be downstairs and then we'll have an afternoon service. Again, if you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. If you haven't done so, please sign the guest book there at the back before leaving. Thank you.